0: That's God's heart. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Lois. <laughs> okay. This is my kind of second time talking to a group of ladies. I usually keep, like taught Sunday school and good news clubs where you have a Bible lesson and... Very easy, but this one, mm-hmm. um, I do want to let you all know that, yes, Sarah is home. I don't know anything about what how she did overnight or this morning, but she is home. So, Thank you. praise God. Thank you. Have you ever studied something of God's character or principles in scripture and found yourself in God's classroom? teaching you on a practical level what you were learning? Well, I have, and I did just this week. So our first section is God prompts people. All of us find ourselves and our future seemingly in the hands of other people. On page 48 in our book, Jerry Bridges says, if God is not sovereign in the decisions and actions of other people as they affect us, then there's a whole major area of our lives where we cannot trust god and we are left so to speak to fend for ourselves can we trust god that he can and will work in the heart of that individual to bring about his plan for us according to scripture the answer is yes he does sovereignly intervene in the heart of people so that they make decisions and carry out actions that accomplish his purpose for our lives. We're gonna look at one example right now. Many years ago, Joseph, after Joseph died, there came into power a Pharaoh who did not know about Joseph. That's always been hard for me to understand. What? But, okay, yeah, anyway. Um, the Israelites were made slaves and were cruelly oppressed. Eventually, they were forced to make bricks without straw. After the 10th plague, Pharaoh said to get out. They had nothing. After all, they had been slaves for hundreds of years. In Exodus 3, 21 and 22, God said to Moses, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. The Egyptians freely gave these slaves what they asked for. They did it willingly. How did God do this? In some mysterious way, God moved in their hearts so that they, of their own free choice, did exactly what he planned for them to do. And perhaps the clearest verse in Scripture is Proverbs 21:1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. The king's rule was absolute. It was law. Yet God controls the king's heart. Everyone must move according to God's sovereign influence. Daniel is another example of God's prompting people. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself with food from the king's table. Daniel 1.9 shows us who moved the heart of the official. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. When we see in verse 10, I'm sorry, we then see in verse 10 that the official was first concerned for his own life, yet he granted Daniel's request. Dan, my husband, was asked to come on staff as a, missionary, a maintenance missionary at a Rancho Agua Vida in Mexico whose mission was to raise up Mexican nationals as pastors, teachers, and missionaries. However, because we were not allowed to leave for any extended time to raise support, we could not continue to be there. In hindsight, there were a couple of reasons. Not too many people knew we had moved to Mexico. Our home church had split around the time that we left. So those who stayed at our home church thought we had gone to the other church. And those at the other church thought we had gone, stayed at our church. So we had no prayer or financial support. Those few who knew where we were were not able to financially support us. So it was hard knowing that God had not prompted people to support us, but more importantly, God had other purposes for us, more a leader. So on to the second one, God restrains people. Can we trust God to intervene in the heart of that person so that he does not carry out evil against us? Yes, because no part of the human heart can resist God's sovereign but mysterious control. In fear of his own life, Abraham lied about Sarah, seeing she was his sister. As a result, Abimelech, king of Gerar, took Sarah. God kept Abimelech from carrying out his plan to make Sarah his wife. God said to Abimelech in Genesis 20, verse six, so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Abimelech chose on his own not to be with Sarah but his choosing was under God's sovereign control. God sovereignly protected Sarah. That is just one example of God's restraining hand to accomplish his plan. Some others are Exodus seven through 14, those are the chapters, the 10 plagues, and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And especially in 10 10 verse four, Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Also in Ezra 5 and 6, the rebuilding of the temple, and Exodus 34, 23, and 24, where God says three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel, for I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your borders, and no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. God commanded all the males to stop everything and go before him. He promised that no one would even covet their land during those times when their land would be defenseless. Can you imagine what that would mean? All the men would be in one place, three times a year, and yet no nation would desire their land during those times because God would be the one restraining them. These examples should encourage us that God exercises his sovereignty for our good. So does God permit evil? God, in his infinite wisdom and love, intends that good ultimately comes from harmful acts done to us. God does move on the hearts and minds of people to accomplish his purposes. God does this without violating or coercing their wills, but rather he works in his mysterious way through their wills to accomplish his purposes. An example, Joseph. We all know that story. Sold into slavery, accused of immorality, thrown into prison, forgotten. As we look back on Joseph's life, we can see How God was moving in and through the sinful acts of different people in his life, all to accomplish his plan and purpose. Genesis 20 verse, I'm sorry, Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, you, meaning his brothers, intended to harm me. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Selling Joseph was a horrible act by his brothers, even though the act accomplished the sovereign purpose of God. Back at the ranch, our Agua Viva, the director did not like us, mainly because the board and the owner had asked Dan to come on staff. He had just become director and wasn't asked for his input. He made it extremely difficult for us to be in many different ways. We had thought that we would be there for the rest of our lives, like Ellie. But God had other plans for us. We went back to Fresno, California at the end of December, 1991. That June, Dan's dad needed a quadruple bypass and a valve replacement. We were able to be there and care for him. Again, God's sovereign plan was at work. During those two years, we couldn't see what he was doing. Only after the next few years could we see the good from our experience. I'm gonna read Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, As I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there was no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction How are they destroyed in a moment? They are utterly swept away by sudden tears. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom I have I have in heaven but you, and besides you I have nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Okay, so the problem with God's sovereignty, that's the next section. Three truths to keep in mind. First, God is infinite in his ways as well as his being. We cannot comprehend an infinite being beyond what he has revealed to us. Some things will forever remain a mystery We cannot view the interaction between God and man on the same level as the interaction between man and man. He does not force or coerce. Second, God is never the author of sin. God does not tempt someone to sin. In James 1, 13 through 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts No one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Third, the Bible consistently portrays people as making real choices of their own will. We are not mindless puppets moved by divine strings. It's hard to say. We are held accountable for the choices we make. So how should we respond to this? Our first response should be one of trust. Our futures are in God's hands, not our husband, not our children, not our bosses, not our friends, not our teachers, and not our pastor. We can entrust our future to God. How? How are we to do that? By praying. First, we need to make sure that we are right with God. Second, Try to see all that we are experiencing from God's perspective. Now that one is a hard one to do. Then we pray for those who will make decisions on our behalf. If you know they are not saved, you need to pray for their salvation first, and then for wisdom for them. If you know they're saved, then pray for their discernment and wisdom to make the decisions according to God's plans and purposes. My being here has been in the hands of God. He worked everything out so I could be here. I had to rely on him to be able to even get time to think through and write out this talk. A couple of hospital stays ago, Sarah was in much longer than expected, though not surprised. I was needed to watch Caleb so Glenn could work while Christy was at the hospital with Sarah. And because they switched places after a week and a half, I was then able to work on this talk. God's sovereignty should keep us from being resentful and bitter. I could have been resentful towards Sarah, Caleb, Christy, Glenn, and God, but I was trusting him to give me the time and thoughts to prepare. Taking those moments allowed me to enjoy the time spent with the other grandkids. Here is where God's classroom is taking me this week. At midnight Monday morning, Sarah was having a cluster of convulsing seizures. Glenn and Christy were thinking they would be calling the ambulance. They called us to come over, as they often do so that we can say goodbye. We were there when the decision was made to call the ambulance and take Sarah to the hospital. All I could think of was God is in control. He is sovereign, that's all I can think of from. Sorry, was gonna do that. Okay, so she came home Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday, again, Wednesday mid-morning, Sarah was having another cluster of convulsing seizures. And again, Chrissy went with her in the ambulance. This time though, Glenn was able to take the day off and take care of Caleb himself, who was having um, post-surgical pain, because he had had but surgery the, this coming Monday, two weeks ago. Yes, I have struggled with resentment and bitterness with, when others' decisions have affected me. It was and is because my plans were changed. My wants were not taken into account. God would never allow any action against us that is not in accord for his will for us. It is always directed for his good, oops, sorry, his glory and my good. <laughs> That's what i written down to.
1: His glory and my good.
0: Sorry. Right. God is sovereign over people. He will move their hearts to cause them to do his will. Or he will restrain them from doing anything contrary to his will. But it is his will, his agenda for our lives, that God will guard, protect, and advance. We must learn to live by his agenda if we are to trust Him. Now we have some words of caution here. First off, never use this doctrine of God's sovereignty as an excuse for our own failures. Second, do not allow this doctrine to cause us to respond passively to the actions of others that affect us. We should take all reasonable steps within the will of God to protect and advance our situation. Third. Never use this doctrine as an excuse for our own sinful actions or decisions that hurt another person. He will hold us accountable for our harmful decisions and sinful actions. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are secret things that he has not revealed to us, and we just have to trust him. Learning to trust. Now we're going to go on to God's rule over the nations. The psalm from Psalm 75, 6 and 7, for not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down and lifting up another. This chapter closely relates to the last one. Jerry Bridges takes it just one step further. As God has sovereign rule over people which affects us daily, so he has sovereign rule over the nations. We need to put our trust in God, not in the decision-making powers of politicians, government officials, or even Supreme Courts. Oh, how we need this reminder today. <laughs> and you have to remember, this book was written back in 80-something, 90-something. So how appropriate does God, I mean, he's, look how he's just moved this for this weekend. It was just, it was amazing. Anyway, God makes all events of history All the decisions of rulers, kings, and parliaments, all the actions of their governments, armies, and navies serve his will. Okay, sovereignty is not usually apparent. God's sovereignty over our rulers is not usually evident to us as we view their decisions and actions on a human level. They do their work apart from any intent to carry out the will of God. We can see this quite plainly in the birth, life, and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken. That meant Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem to be registered at just the right time for Micah's prophecy to be fulfilled in Micah 2, 5, 2. Caesar definitely was not trying to fulfill Jewish prophecy, yet that is exactly what happened. Again, Herod's killing of the infants, Joseph fleeing with his family to Egypt, coming back out of Egypt after Herod's death, not going back to Bethlehem, but back to Nazareth. That's just a few years of Christ's life, and in each case, the people involved acted freely, doing what they intended to do. Yet in each instance, they did exactly what God planned for them to do. In the decision of how Christ's death would be, Herod, Pilate, and the Jewish leaders did exactly what they wanted to do, yet they did exactly what God planned that they do. Again, they were not thinking of fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, yet that is exactly what they did. We may not perceive the hand of God in the affairs of nations as we see them today, yet his rule is no less sovereign today than it was in the days of the prophets or the apostles. God recorded in his Word specific instances of his sovereign rule over history in order that we might trust him in the affairs of history as they unfold before us today. As we are in the midst of these events, it's hard to see his hand, but we must trust him to work everything to his glory and our good. This is a great reminder for today as we watch on things fold, good and bad. God ordains the rulers. God has established governments for the good of all people, believers as well as unbelievers. This seems difficult to accept when we hear of our brothers and sisters in Christ, persecuted and even killed because of their commitment to Christ. We must remember that God, in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty, and for reasons known only to himself, allows rulers to act contrary to his revealed will. He works in history from an eternal perspective, and these actions are never beyond the bounds of his sovereign will. First Timothy two, one and two. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, in order that they may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all goodliness, sorry, godliness, and dignity. The best expression of trust in God is prayer. We must pray for our rulers that they would first come to saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and then make wise decisions. God determines who rules the governments. In Daniel 4:17. It says, the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. When I consider the evil men, as well as the weak and foolish who have held high office in this country and others, I am still learning that they have ruled in the sovereign will of God. Mm -hmm. I must trust this because that is what scripture tells us. This is definitely one of those mysteries to me. Romans 13.1b says, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Mm -hmm. God controls decisions. God not only determines who rules and for how long, but also the decisions they make. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Casting lots was used to choose officials, determine tasks, select dates, settle disputes, and determine military strategy. Yet this proverb tells us that God controlled the decisions. So a few examples of casting lots was in Esther 3.7, Haman used this method to find the day to slaughter the Jews. Proverbs 18.18, then in Luke 1.9, Zacharias was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. Luke 23, 24. They cast lots to divide Christ's clothing. Decisions were also made by seeking advice and counsel from others. God also rules in the advice given and received and acted upon. His sovereign will is always accomplished. And this example is Rehoboam's who is David's grandson, Solomon's son. When he came to the throne, the men of Israel asked him to lighten the harsh labor and heavy yoke which Solomon had put on them. Rehoboam first asked the elders who served King Solomon what they should do, what he should do. They advised him to give him a favorable answer, but he rejected that advice and sought the advice of young men who grew up with him. They told him to say to the people, this is in king, 1 Kings 12, 11. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Their answer split the nation into two kingdoms. Then verse 15 says, So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. What can we learn from these examples? First, God can and does work in the hearts and minds of rulers and officials of government to accomplish his sovereign purpose. Most often, they do not give any thought to the will of God. Second, God sometimes causes government leaders or officials to make foolish decisions in order to bring judgment on a nation. If believers are caught up in the disastrous results, then we must continue to trust God in the difficult times. Third, we must take seriously our responsibility to pray for the leaders and officials that they will make wise decisions and trust when foolish or harmful decisions are made. God determines military victories. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. We must trust in God, not military might of any size. We all know the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Who would have thought that marching around the city once for six days and then seven times on the seventh day would have brought those walls down? But God did it. In Judges 7, we read about Gideon and how the Lord delivered Midian into their hands. Gideon had 32,000 men at the beginning, but God said that was too many. God had the final number to be just 300. So Israel would know that it was God who delivered Midian into their hands. Okay, now what about David and Goliath? The Philistines and the Israelites were camped opposite one another. The Philistines were taunting the Israelites. And you know the outcome, but have you ever thought about 1 Samuel 17, verse 49? And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Okay, you know that part. David killed Goliath. But have you ever thought about it and reenacted it in your mind? Okay, so David slings the stone. It strikes Goliath in the forehead so hard that it sunk into his forehead and then he falls with his face to the ground. Not backwards. It was like God kind (laughs) of on his head and he fell face forward. That just doesn't happen. He would have fallen backwards with that force that sunk that stone into his forehead. So God did it. This was God. Victory belonged to God and the nations he chooses. Another example is 2 Kings 7, 3 through 7, verse 3 through 7. But I'm going to read verse 6. This was about four lepers. For the Lord caused the army of the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and the sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. There were four lepers who were outside the city because they couldn't enter the city But the city was experiencing famine. They were experiencing death by starvation. And what did God do? He made this, the the army to hear the sound of chariots and horses and and so the four lepers said, well, if we die out here, we're gonna die. If we go in the city, we're gonna die because there's no food. So let's go and see if the Syrians can help us out here. And so they went, there was nobody there, but there was all this food, all this clothing, and so they went and told the king. But it was God who made that sound. As I read this chapter, it struck me. This not only applies to our military might and weapons, but that also that thing called the virus. We must trust God's plan for each one of us and not be frightened by what others are saying or insisting we we do. I must remember God is in control of how much time we have on this earth. It is not the strength of our nation's weapons or our own, but God. Therefore, we must trust him to work out all the details of history to his glory, knowing that his glory and our good are bound up together. Most of us are not too interested in the sovereignty of God over nations and history unless we are personally affected by it, such as missionaries we know, like Robbie and Rachel Angel. God has a plan to redeem people from all nations, to bless all nations through Christ. But what do we see today? We see many governments hostile to the gospel, even for their own nationals to proclaim it. When Daniel understood that the end of the seven years was almost complete, he prayed. He trusted in the sovereignty and faithfulness of God to restore the exiles. He did not fall into a do-nothing attitude. As we look around, we see things seemingly falling apart. We must trust God to fulfill his promise to redeem people from every nation. As he has commanded us to make disciples of all nations, We must trust by praying. Some of us will go as God opens the doors, but all of us must pray. God is sovereign over the nations, over the officials of governments, ours and in lands where every attempt is made to stamp out true Christianity. In all this, we can and must trust God. Finally, I will leave you with Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him.